right, what's going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? Welcome back. It's Friday night, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and you are at your place for the unfiltered experience. We have unfiltered conversations designed to levitate and escalate your brain and your confidence to be able to have a kick-ass, unstoppable life. I am Christopher Roush, your No Excuses Coach, and I'm joined by the beautiful Scott Goyette. I'm feeling beautiful today. Thank you. You are, you are looking beautiful. You have the you have the high pro glow going on, brother. Got a good glow. I came out to LA, got out on the beach, and I'm glowing. Yeah. All right. We got to hang out. I hope all you guys got to see our, our show last week where we did it live from Manhattan Beach. It was a great show. Um, thank you for coming out. It was a great time. Beautiful. Beautiful. It was great. It was good seeing you, Thomas, getting out there. We got to see Emilio, too, a bunch of our people in L.A. So it was it was great. Good yeah. little break. It's exciting. We got, we got a lot got a, a, a exciting show for everybody planned for right now. But uh, before we do that, Scott, why don't we talk about what we're going to be doing here as far as the changes in the show, give everybody kind of a heads up in case they've missed the, some of the previous announcements. Absolutely. And I'm going to share a tiny bit about some of the people that I've been talking about to give you an idea of what this could look like. People are going to be on the show. So one of the things that we want to do is make the show a little bit more digestible when people are listening in podcast form. And I know personally, if I'm going to go get a workout or go for a run, that 45 minute point is where I'm like, oh, that one scares me. That's an hour and eight minutes. I'm not going to do it. And that's what a lot of people have told me personally. So what we're going to do is try to keep them to 45 minutes. We're going to bring them into seasons. We're going to have a theme around the season. So the first season we're going to have, it's going to be called I Am. And we're going to talk about how people got to find out who they really are. So the lead off question will be something along the lines of who are you and talk about the path of how you got there. And at the end, they'll say, I am whatever that is. I am enough. I am whatever they are. They can say that at that point. But we want to get some of our older guests that really hit home with you guys and bring some of them on board. And we've got some new ones. And Chris, I want to tell you about a, a friend of mine that I haven't seen in forever. One of the nicest guys ever. And uh, we're going to get him on the show. His name is John Pablo. He was just he's always I think he's two years younger than me. We used to play basketball together. He was in an accident and just before COVID in 2020, and he had pictures of himself and he was weighing like 220 pounds. He might be 5'9", 5'10", and he was definitely looking a little like puffy and he wasn't feeling his best self. Chris, he showed me some pictures of himself. He said, I'm done. No more excuses. I'm going to do things right. And he just said, I don't care. I'm 50 years old or whatever. I'm going to go back to be the person I want to be in this present moment. And he did it. And I'm going to tell you, it's funny because I'm kind of doing that. Yeah, I'll get in shape again. You know, I'll fix myself past my accident. And looking at him like, no, enough of this shit. So I'm in this space right now where he's got to get on because what he did is amazing. Um, I've got another woman who is just fantastic that I'll tell you more about later. But we had some great conversations. We, we've got some good people coming on who they've had some battles and things in their journey. We want to get Jimmy Dennis back. Um, there's some good people we're going to bring on. But in a nutshell, there's going to be different people telling about the story of how they got to be where they are today and how they found out who they are. And I know we all need that because some of us feel lost. We don't know what our purpose is. And this will be a beautiful way for us to listen to five or six different people tell us how they got there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. And we're going to be we're going to be kicking that off when um, I'd like to do it probably like June 1st. Um, I'm just because a few people asked me, can we record in like, you know, a few weeks? So it's going to be in everyone's schedule. And we're going to get Emilio um, and Rachel Brooks Smith back too. Oh, They're good. excited to be with us. Awesome. So, awesome. Yeah. It's I'm trying to remember everybody who's committed. There's been a bunch who committed. I'm trying to narrow it down to six for this round. So the season doesn't turn into 20 episodes and defeat the purpose of what we were trying to do. 
Yeah, it'll be exciting. I'm excited for that. And be able to, like you said, bring it more digestible content because you and I tend to have a, a, a chatty conversation to start sure. off the show. And then we do our final wrap up and stuff like that. But I'm excited for our guest today. I was introduced to uh, to our guest through a mutual friend. His name's Scott. And he was like, because uh, I, I, I believe it was Scott. I think it was Scott Condell. Um, I've been introduced to so many people lately. Oh, but yeah. um, I had an initial conversation with this person and I was just immediately blown away by her articulation, her thoughts, her honesty, uh, her intelligence, her passion. Um, so please welcome to the show, the Ron Unscripted, or the, to the Unfiltered Experience, uh, Ms. Peg O'Connor. What's going on, Peg? Welcome to the Unfiltered Experience. Hi, Peg. Well, thanks for having me on the Unfiltered Experience. I'm I'm really happy to be here and, and to have a conversation that goes wherever we want it to go. Anywhere. Whatever. Anywhere. <laughs> that's what we that's what we talk about here. It's the unfiltered experience. My other show is the Ron Unscripted show, and I was just looking at a logo of it, and that's what made me say that. <laughs> He's integrating so, it all. He's bringing it all together. It's all okay. together. It's all mushing together. It My next show is going to be the Ron Unfiltered show. No, I'm just kidding. So I, I feel fine, Ron. Let's just make it. Let's just change it. It's one show. It's Ron Unfiltered. There you go. Make it all one thing. So welcome, welcome, welcome. We already got some people in the house. We got Adam Duvall in the house. He's all the way over from England. He says, good evening, lads. Good evening, Adam. What's going on, brother? We appreciate you being here. We got Robert Broker in the house. His greetings and salutations, Christopher and hey, Scott. Chris. Hey, Robert. Uh, da, da, da. We appreciate you guys for being here. So again, if you're watching live or on the replay, you guys are a part of this conversation as well. So feel free to chime in in the comments, ask questions of ourselves and especially our guest, uh, especially if you're on the replay as well, because we always go back and we answer those questions. So this is a this is a participatory conversation that we want you to have with us. And my first question for you tonight, Peg, is just a, just a little. We're going to start off slow. We're slow. I'm just going okay. to do it tonight. Slow. Deep breaths, guys. Deep breaths. Deep breaths. So what do you think is going on with the world today? <laughs> can, can I have a few breaths before she answers that? Yeah. I need to just sink into this one. What do you think is going on with the world today? And tell, oh, tell, actually, before you do that, tell tell people a little bit about yourself so they get a, they get a framework of where, where this intelligence is coming from. I don't know if it's intelligence or it's good old life experience. So my name is Peg O'Connor and I'm a philosopher by training and I teach at uh, Gustavus Adolphus College, say that fast three times. It is a liberal arts college in Minnesota and I've been out here at this school I think for 27 years and uh, I teach a lot of the ethics classes and I also teach classes on addiction and trauma. So I get to work with students who are really trying to figure out their their places in the world and, and how they want to be. And so what's going on in the world? I think that a lot of these Gen Z folks are really hoping to be able to be in the world in ways to make valuable contributions. They're worried about the climate. They're worried about finances. They're worried about their rights. But there's also a kind of optimism that I find there. So even with all the bad news in the world, I find that I get air pumped in my tires by being around really bright, interesting and interested students. I, I, I feel so fortunate to do the work that I do. You might, have, you might have, I got to get a question. I, I think you know what I'm going to ask. So, um, so Peg, we have a, a beautiful group of people. I have a 12 week co coaching problem problem. Yeah. It's a big problem. I, <laughs> this problem I've just been, it's a program. Um, so in that program, it's Raise Your Vibration Coaching Program, and it's powered by Go Love Now, uh, my organization. And we've got an integration group. And Chris and I were just talking the other day of how do we take the word hope and we transmute that into actual action and transmute that into um, manifesting the world that we want. So as a professor myself, 
I have my techniques and it sounds like we're in a similar space because I see I'm hopeful and mm -hmm. I'm action oriented with that hopefulness. What are you telling your students or suggesting or what mirrors are you holding up for them so they can take the action to be the leaders of tomorrow? And tell me about what that feels like with you, because I'm with you. I listen to a lot of people go, we're doomed. And I'm like, you know, if you say you can, you're right. If you say you can't, you're right. So stop mm -hmm. saying that and join forces with begging me. Tell me about your experience in the classroom, because I love it. I just love it. So one of the things that that strikes me, so I teach a lot of the ethics classes. So I tend mm -hmm. to get students who are a self-selecting bunch. And yes, some philosophy class fulfills general education requirements. So they're in there because they need such a class in order to sure. graduate. But I think oftentimes we, we bring it around um, for them, for students to be able to see the ways that they can contribute to making the world a better place. Now, I'm lucky to be on a campus where a lot of our students are involved in our community service office. So a huge percentage of our students work off campus as big partners or uh, tutoring for students for whom English is not a first, second, third, or even fourth language. Wow. Um, that we have students who have been involved with Habitat for Humanity, who are running all of the political organizations on campus. Those are the students that I get to see the most because they're drawn to philosophy and I also wear a hat in gender, women's sexuality studies. And one of the things that I try to do in my class, and I'm very explicit about this, is front load the important kinds of critical thinking skills that they need in order to be able to engage in productive, fruitful dialogue and yes, talk about a lost it. art. Dialogue is it. a lost art. I mean, if, yeah. if, if we were to have the um, hypothetical situation of a Martian comes and looks at political discourse in the United States, what they would see would be the equivalent of Rock'em Sock'em robots all the time or it would just be people yelling in an echo chamber. Yeah. So I spend a lot of time with students trying to get them to acquire certain skills that you know aren't just good for studying philosophy, but that are good for living in the world. And you know, there's a lot of flabby blathering about critical thinking, critical thinking, critical thinking. And for me, you know, I can list at least 15 skills that if a student comes to have them, if anyone comes to have these skills, that they can engage in productive change, even of the most entrenched Amen. disagreements, because it's become far too easy just to say, you know, make a, a claim to a very dangerous kind of relativism. Well, that's what you think. And that's what I think, right. you know, and never the twain shall meet. And to me, that's really lazy and sloppy and actually yes. doesn't get at the complexity of living. You know, mm -hmm. just to be able to so write off groups of people. And so in our political climate, the ability to engage with views that are diametrically opposed to your own. I mean, I, I am not a fan of colleges where speakers are shouted down. You know, what I say to my students is if you don't like a speaker, you go and you listen and you figure out what you don't like. And right. then maybe you have counter programming or you invite other speakers. But you know, freedom, freedom of speech has become such a cudgel in, in kinds of ways. And I think there's freedom to speech, of course, but there's also a responsibility to listen. For me, any kind of right, the flip side is a responsibility, but we don't pay attention to that because it's, mm -hmm. it's inconvenient for us.
they, 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 they say, I can't handle that stuff anymore. I can't deal with your stuff anymore. I'm just going to go, like you said, the echo chamber. I'm going to go in that group thing and go stand with everybody else who agrees with me. And we're just going to be us versus them. Talk to us about that. Talk to us about the young perspective of the Gen Zs and what they're seeing in the adults of the world and how we're handling things um, in the country and the, the world that they want to inherit from us. Well, I, I, I think they're rightfully worried that the vast percentage of elected officials in our country are far older than they, yeah. and that the world was a very different place for a 20-year-old in the 1960s than it is for a 20-year-old in the 2020s. And I think that there's also a sense in which this generation, you know, they get lumped with the millennials and Gen Z, you know, oh, these kids are all entitled. They don't work hard. They want everything mm -hmm. handed to them. They're snowflakes. I mean, all these kinds of yeah. disparaging comments, which, which are just patently false. Yes. And they're frustrated because they oftentimes don't feel seen and they don't feel heard. And it's a kind of social death not to be acknowledged, not to be recognized. And it's deeply insulting. So, you know, oftentimes I'm saying to my students, so what are you going to do about it? You know, in part, you do need to learn the language of boomer and Gen X. Um, you need to learn, you need to become somewhat fluent in that because we, they still have the power. But you have so many opportunities because you all have skills that weren't skills back when we were young. Yeah. It's not our world anymore. You know, I say I'll be 58 and I've got all this white hair that it, it isn't my world. And, and I'm ready to, you know, step aside and say to this younger generation, how can I help you? You know, what can I do? I, I am a teacher first and foremost, but I'm engaged in the community. And if you're not engaged in the community, I guess it's all, you know, if you're not part of the solution, you're, you're part of the problem. True. And so That's to exactly. get students in some ways to authorize themselves to say, yeah, my voice matters and I'm going to continue to use it and I have a right to use it. And you all have a responsibility to listen and not just ignore or write off or, you know, disparage me. That's true that. there. Go for it, Scott. I had a question before, and then you said so that I lost my question. You know, we always do that to each other. Well, I, want to, um, I, want to go, I want to go back to some of those skills you were talking about, Peg. What are some of those skills? Because I think that's one of the biggest things that I'm hearing from people is that they don't want to truly listen. Or they, or they listen to a soundbite, and they make a judgment about that, and they take it out of context, and they go running with that. I mean, the news is full of that. I tell people that, you know, like I was telling you before we went on camera, 10 years ago, I, I said, okay, I'm not going to follow news and politics anymore because I don't know what to believe. I literally don't know what to believe. I have people on the left that are super intelligent and send me articles I'm like, here's what's going on, here's what's going on. I got people on the right sending me stuff telling us that the, that the whole political system is, is not really what it is and it's all this and it's all that. I don't know what to believe anymore. So talk to us about some of those skills and some ways that we can sit there and kind of do a, a reset. You know, maybe people are watching this and listening to this. How can we get a reset to where we actually do have that dialogue to where we can sit there and say, okay, listen, we're going to agree to disagree on a couple of these things, but what can we do to actually finally find a solution that works best for everybody overall as opposed to just one segment of society i want to add one thing in there while you answer that question also address the idea and that's where my question was answering that but also how do we manage the bully in that situation because a lot of people yeah. stop talking and hide in their safe space because there's a bully in every group who will try to attack especially when you have try to have intelligent you know discourse and social media so a lot of people have good things to say and want to bridge the gap quit yeah. so answer both of those because i think that's a, a perfect place for us to head Yep. So 
I teach this wonderful book called The 21st Century Ethical Toolbox. So it's really about these critical thinking skills. Mm -hmm. And so if you're involved in this discussion with someone, that it's important that you sort of agree on what the facts are. And so as a philosopher, to now have the expression alternative facts be understood as something that is meaningful is just mind-boggling to me. There are facts. They're not alternative facts. There's not an alternative universe. But the idea that you've got to be clear on the facts, in order to figure out what the facts are, you need to be able to ask questions to get the information that you would want in order to have a responsible stance on a position. So it means you need to frame those questions. You need to have information literacy. Like you can type any question into the web that you want and you can land on all of these websites that will tell you, but it could be written by a conspiracy theorist yeah. in the darkness of their basement or it can be written by a think tank on the left, a think tank on the right. So how do you become fluent in being able to figure out who are the sources, who are the origins, what are the vested interests here? So there's kind of minding the facts, which are crucially important. Our language matters that we use. So don't use loaded language. You know, our language is freighted with all kinds of connotations. And oftentimes there's always, so Scott mentioned the bully. There's oftentimes a bully in a situation. And then there's the person that I call the poker. Yes. The poker is the person who's troll. just looking to inflame you, to knock you off your rhythm. And I find pokers more upsetting than than bulliers. They're and usually pretty smart. It's almost the equivalent of like the Darth Vader. It's somebody who knows the force as well as Luke does or are close. And mm -hmm. they have the ability to outwit people. I see that. And I don't like that person because they come in and they'll just agitate versus, I mean, when we talk about solution right. or problem, they are the problem. They are the problem. And what really they'll are. do is is they'll kick up such a dust storm mm -hmm. that you forget what it is that you were arguing about in the first place. Yes. So another thing to do is what are the competing values in these different positions? Because for me, there's never just two sides of a position. Sure. There's oftentimes, you know, right. 15 or 50 or 500. So how do you investigate what those other perspectives are? One of the ways you do it is by changing your starting point. So what if it, what is it like to try to animate an argument with which you really, really disagree with? Can you try to charitably represent that position or that argument and not reduce it to a caricature or a cartoon? And that's an important critical thinking skill. How let, me, let, me stop you, let me stop you right there. So yep. is what, just to make sure I understand. So is what you're saying, and this is something I've done with people is um, somebody on the far left, I sit there and I say, okay, what I want you to do is for the next two weeks, take the opposite position and see if you might be convinced. So that's what you're saying. Okay, good. Yeah. And, sure. and, and what I find, um, so I'm a philosopher and I love good, tight, reasoned arguments. And what I find is that when people really believe something passionately, they tend to just throw their reason out the window and they yes. think that the passion should carry the day. So if you've got two or three or four sets of people whose passions want to carry the day, boom, that's where you're going to have the fight. But if you don't subscribe to a position and I say, but you've got to accurately reflect it, you need to go and learn about it. Aren't, you know, that caricature aren't just that you know, kind of approach. So if you can get a good sense of what are the different different positions here, you might be able to find some common ground. So I just had this great discussion 
um, in my class where we're reading John Stuart Mill on liberty, talking about rights. And one of the things that Mill says, and he's quite right on this, he said, there are two types of people in the world. There are those who want the government to intervene on everything. And there are those who would put up and tolerate just about anything to keep from the government encroaching. So then we launched into this discussion about the notion of parental rights. On the one hand, we all know that parents should have dominion over their children in certain regards, yeah. right? I mean, we, we take that for granted, but sort of the way parental rights is talked about now, only certain issues seem to belong there, or some parents think that they should have a right to influence other people's children. Mm -hmm. So when we start talking about transgender care, when we start talking about GLBT issues, when we start talking about race, why is it that one white parent can get a, a Disney produced documentary about Ruby Bridges that's been shown for 24 years? Why can one white parent get that film pulled for a whole school? What about the parents of black children? What about the parents of white children who want their children to learn 100%. about racism? So parental rights are not evenly or equitably distributed, that some people's parental rights are more important than other people's parental rights. And, and I know in Texas, Texas, with Florida, the, oh. <laughs> yes, you know, but I'm so, in Austin. So give me a break. Okay, Peg. <laughs> right. So you know that a parent of a transgender child Crazy. wants to make the best health care decisions for the welfare, the well-being of their child so that child can flourish. And so we say, yes, parents should have some authority over their children and what kind of medical procedures that, that they can have. We think that's right. But yeah. then you have people who are anti-abortion who are saying, you know, 13-year-old children should not be able to get abortions. And, and my first thought is 13-year-old children should not be pregnant. I would much rather focus on that. Right. So here's this big battle about parental rights. But there is some common ground there in the sense that we want what's best for children. So is that common ground enough to give us just a little bit of traction where maybe we can create more common ground, you know, where we can begin to build bridges. And then another important skill is to ask what's right about each position. Yeah. Is there maybe a little kernel of rightness in each position? And when you look at that, does that give you something that you can kind of, you know, grapple along with? And then more skills about how do you think creatively? How do you learn to multiply options? Instead of just saying you have to go left, you have to go right. Well, let's go down the middle and then let's bear to the left and go off to the right. So multiplying options. And, and to think that moral arguments aren't necessarily about winning or losing or you know enforcing agreements or dynamiting things so that there's just disagreement. We all share the physical world. We all share a social world, an economic world, and we got to figure out how to get along better. That's okay. a shared... Agreed. Need that we all Peg, have. I'd like to take you to a place because what you're saying right now, I'd like to get your interaction with this. So I'm a massive proponent of the word equity. I use the word equity a lot and yeah. really explaining it's different than equality. And I know you know the definitions. We don't need to go there. But for everybody here, 
one of the things that I've done a lot is take stands for people that are oppressed, whether it's transgender, whether it's somebody of a certain race, um, certain religion. When somebody is being beat down, I ask people, I try to be their bridge, say, hey, what's happening here? What is it that you're, why do you continue to say that equity isn't okay here? And something happened last week that was massively frustrating to me because I'm a practitioner of the language that you say, let's look at common facts, let's come to a space where we're comfortable. And a group that I have supported, I, I can't tell you how much, I'm always on their side, always supporting them. We were talking about the women's final four basketball game. And so, you know, with Angel Reese and what's her name? Uh, Caitlin, what's Caitlin? Caitlin Clark from Iowa. Caitlin Clark. Uh, I already forgot because I was trying to put it out of my brain. And so I'm a basketball player and sports has done a lot to save me. And so being a kid where I could have done a lot of stuff wrong, mm -hmm. the idea of the camaraderie, the team effort, the sportsmanship is massive, massive for me. So when everyone was saying, this is tit for tat. This is totally a double standard. Everyone who thinks that it's different is racist. Really, really triggered me because my trigger came from the space that I'm looking at what Angel Reese did and 13 seconds going like this, like having somebody just watch you and trying to torment the player when the game's already over. There's nothing. There's no competitive advantage. There's nothing. To me, it's just horrible sportsmanship. And then to say that I'm speaking for a group of people that don't that that look like me was very yeah. offensive to me yeah. because I'm sitting here saying that this is what got me out of trouble. And you're saying, let's remove the sportsmanship. And I already think the sportsmanship is not good anyway. And so I had a lot of black friends, especially black females come on and attack me, the ganging up on me. When I said, my stance on this is I fully agree. The media will take this. And, and I do agree with you that there's going to be people who are racist and say, I don't like Angel Reese. And that's a fact. And so I did exactly what you said. And I said, but I want you to look at another stance so you don't lose people who are your allies right now. And I got ambushed. I did everything you said. Said, these are facts. You know who I am. I've always mm -hmm. been with you. But my first take on this is these are not apples to apples. And this is where we step over the line. And now there's zero sportsmanship. And it's already bad enough. So we have to back it up and not make her a martyr. And I got Everyone's going, they never listen to us. They don't understand. Pointing at me. You have no idea how many. I've spoken at Martin Luther King Day events. I mean, I'm always there. So I got deeply offended and realized that there's groups of people who are saying that they're listening to you and that they're your friends. And the minute they don't agree with you, they would punch you in the face. And I never saw that. I always thought that I'm going to support these people and they see me. Right. Not everybody sees you doesn't yeah. matter what you're doing. So when I tell you I walk through treading lightly saying, I really want to support you on this. But when you're attacking my belief that these is this is not apples to apples and not believing where I'm coming from is really staggering to me. What would you have done in that case? Because it was really I'm still upset about that because these are people I would I would support a 99 percent of things. And I don't feel like I want to support them in many issues now if they're going to turn and attack me because it tells me a lot double about standard. who they are at heart. Right. Topocracy, double standard. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's tough, too, because part of the background there, too, was the way that the University of South Carolina team was talked about. Don't oh, they're playing, they're playing a really yeah. physical game. I mean, all the kinds of 
potentially racist tropes about black female totally athletes, agree. right? Can we step it's, back? Wait, wait, can, can we step back just for a second? Because I don't know what exactly this is. In, so South Carolina. So so she's right. So the team South Carolina has a lot of black females, and so does LSU. And there's more white females on Iowa. So in that game with South Carolina, they play very aggressively. I get it. That word aggressive when it's in a negative tone can sound very racist. So I hear that and I and I was agreeing with that tenfold. So I agree and, and keep going. Yeah, but I'm with you. So, I mean, I think that 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 was all there along with such a long history of the ways in particular that black female athletes are treated. So, you know, I'm a oh, tennis yeah. player forever and a day. Serena, and, Venus, it's crazy. I know. And watching the treatment and the discussion and the ways that the bodies of totally. Venus and particularly Serena Williams mm -hmm. um, and another really great young black woman player who pretty much quit the USTA for a while because they said, you got to go get in better shape and they wouldn't sponsor her anymore. I think she won the US Open doubles tournament last year, by the way, Taylor Townsend, check her out. And so, I mean, all of that is there in any particular interaction with a person, even an ally. And so I think we do, I mean, as, as a white woman, I know that I do run into that and I can understand it. And my challenge is not to personalize it, but to go and try to understand, okay, where, where might this be coming from and hear what they're saying, but always, always, always thinking about if there's something that needs to be repaired that I want to repair it because these relationships are too important. Even if I'm really, really hurt, I had um, one of the best experiences ever as a young faculty member. I gave a, a paper about racial conspiracies. Um, and it was about church burnings in the South in the late 1990s, where there was a whole raft of them. And I made reference to the six young black young girls who were killed in a church bombing. And later, a black man stood up and said, you know, I feel like you're just kind of using that historical example to make a point. And I bet you don't know what their names are, do you? And of course, my first reaction was defensive. But then I thought, you know what? You're, you're right. I, I, I didn't know enough there. And, and I was using an event that has such different meaning for a community of which I'm not a member. Right. And he and I, his name is Richard. Richard and I have had a good relationship professionally and personally 20 years on now. But I really had to fight my, I'm so defensive, or I want to be the good white person. And I did have to say, you're right. And, and I need to do better and learn more. And so I, I guess I'd say to you, Scott, I mean, I hope that you can. I mean, they, they may have been firing, you know, their, their phasers were not set on stun maybe. Um, but there's so much there. And, and I think the burden is on you to, to go back. Hard I would, as it is. I would, I, would, I, would, I would love to agree with you on this one. And I've been in this space before and I've gone back many times and said, I'll revisit. I'm not confident that I'm going to do it this time. And I'm just being honest with you because I've done this many times where I've revisited the information. And on this one, I was put at total disregard to listen. I said, I agreed with everything they said. I go, it's disgusting. We got to fix the media. And I agreed with everything. And I wasn't allowed to say what I wanted to say. 
And, and that's very frustrating to me because I'm watching them lose people. And I'm saying, I'm going to tell you what I'm feeling. And hopefully you don't attack me because I want you to know where I'm coming from, because this is where my pain is. And I also have pain. You're not the only person on the planet with pain. And so I'm tired of being the like the person apologizing every time, like right. to be honest with you. And, and I'm a big agreeer. I, I always say, you know what? I'm going to find the better. I'm going to be the better man. I'm just not into doing it right now, just to be honest with you, because I, I always, always, always find the other perspective. And on this one, the way the attacks came were just shocking when they can look at all the things that I've done for so many people. And I'm just, I'm tired too. And I'll just leave it at that. But I hear you. I fully mm -hmm. hear you. And so maybe it isn't time yet. Yeah. And you may decide it's not time ever. Mm. But that's not a decision that you would make rashly. I mean, you, yeah. you will spend time with it because it's and, a decision that really, really matters. And yeah. And I should and also say this too. Yeah. And when the stakes are really high and the stakes are high here for you, both personally and your self-identity as someone who wants to be fighting the good fight. And, and I'm still going right to. So, so, so maybe I should step that back. I'm not saying I'm not going to fight the fight for people who are oppressed by any means. What I'm saying is I'm watching who attacked me. And am I, am, I, am I aligning to them with zero apology on their side that I'm constantly the one who wants to say, oh, I didn't see that when I do see that. That's, I think, what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So when there's a group that needs my support that still falls under that, that group, I, I'm still at the events. I'm not stopping any of that. What I'm saying is I'm very aware of who the people are who are not listening and out there, because I'm, what I'm watching for both sides of the coin here, whether it's, you know, the alt-right or the, you know, most liberal left, I'm watching the people that stand and just yell at people nonstop. Those are the people I'm talking about in this specific group where I'm like, you, you're not looking for equity. You're not. You say you are, but you're using words that denote superiority and you're not listening to people who are truly trying to help you. Those are the people I'm frustrated with right now, because when I'm sitting here trying to tell this person, you're missing the point. These people are not doing anything. You know, I can't say that they go, they just attacked you. And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> and so it puts me in a really crap. And then, and when it's on social media, it goes, why are you even defending them? They don't care about you. They, it puts me in a really crappy situation. And that's where I'm sitting right now. Right. And, and nothing should be adjudicated on social media. Truth. Yeah. Right. Truth. That is the worst Truth. medium, you know, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on Twitter or TikTok. Because it those media don't lend themselves to nuanced thinking. Yeah. You know, I think Twitter has been one of the worst things for civic discourse in the U.S. Yeah. What the hell can you do in 140 characters? You can offend people really, That's really it. quickly. That's where it works really, really well. The poker mm -hmm. lives there. You know, it's funny, though, Peg. So you know what I did do? Right in the middle of this discussion, I said, let's hold the discussion here and let's do a Facebook Live or do a podcast and just bring ourselves there. Yeah. And I asked for that and they go, there they go again, expecting us to like explain ourselves. And I'm like, I literally just said, <laughs> let's get out of here right. and do that. I mean, it's all documented. I don't remove anything on social media. So you wanna come back and attack me, go read your own stuff. I literally was like, let's do this. And then I sent a private note saying, hey, let's let, this is a great opportunity for us. Have two people, if you need two, come, come attack me, whatever, but let's have a great discourse. And I'm still putting myself out there nothing and so mm -hmm. i that's why i'm a little bit like wait a second i did everything that i'm teaching other people to do facts first 
pull emotion out. Here's my thought. Here's your thought. Mm -hmm. And I got zero. And I get it. People are coming with emotion. There's a lot of trauma. Listen, I, I teach this stuff. I preach this stuff. I support that. But there's a point to where, listen, your victim status can't bully me, bully me over 24-7 when I'm sitting here trying to say, how can I help? Right. So, I mean, there, there's a point. And, and what I was trying to explain in this group, too, was if you're truly trying to gain equity, there's got to be some sense of respect for other people coming to the table. And I'm getting zero. And all I do, I mean, Chris. They're part, of the problem. They're part of the problem as well. You're trying to be part of the solution. They're being part of the problem. And, and I like, never stop. And I put okay, so yeah. much time and effort in and I'm freaking exhausted. Well, so. and, and I get it. So, you know, here I am a white feminist in one of the most male dominated, white dominated disciplines in all of higher education. The number mm -hmm. of women in general in philosophy is as bad as the number of women in physics. And, <laughs> you know, so... I've seen a lot of these battles. I've been in a lot of these battles for representation, for full participation by groups of people who have been marginalized and taken for granted and, you know, seen as, oh, you got hired because of affirmative action or because we needed a fill in the blank. And I, I know how much white privilege I have and Absolutely. I need to, I need those reminders. And I'm aware too now with, with age, I mean, the kind of privilege that comes from, I refer to this as the hair of authority. There you, you go. Know, <laughs> yeah, it's good. I am a white woman with really good white hair. And I know the kind of deference that I get right off the bat that I don't even have to, to ask for. And so I know that, you know, I see, the obligations and responsibilities that I have to my younger colleagues and my particular younger colleagues of color in the discipline of philosophy, I see myself as having additional obligations and I want to meet them. And I know that I'm going to screw up and that I have screwed up in the past. Yeah. yeah. But me for too. me that there are still so many ways for me to make mistakes shows how much work there is to be done. Yeah, I agree with you. My favorite class in grad school was actually business ethics and Dr. McGee taught it. And my good friend who sat next to me, Luther, Luther Faust, who was black. I remember the big question that they asked is, should we have affirmative action? That was supposed to take a day. Um, no, that took like a full week of discussions. And I started in the beginning because I come from Boston and I've seen people you know, who didn't fare well with that being white. So I'm like, this is bull crap. It should all be merit. By the end of it, I'm like, I totally agree with this. And I love those conversations. And I'm always willing to be wrong. I I like being wrong because what happens? You know this as well as I do. Yeah. The minute you're done being wrong, you've aligned to what's right. It's not about you being anything. You grow. So you it's grow. beautiful. Yep. I love it. And, There's but just, yeah, some people don't want to grow anymore because they're totally, totally comfortable with the way they are. And if you think that yeah. everything about your world and your beliefs and your worldview is right, there's absolutely no reason for you to change. And for some people, Amen. there's every reason to try to make you change. Amen. Right. And, and so I think that's where a lot of our political discourse just gets driven into the ground. Yeah. So what can we do to change that? I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to table that for a second. What can we do to change? I want to grab Nicole here, ask a long winded question. So I'm going to try to, so I want to make sure we capture this. She goes, what are your thoughts on how to handle the gender statements when they, 
they, them, he, she. I've been some Zoom calls and accidentally naturally said her because her name was Gabby and she went off on me and think I don't have respect for her. It's like they, this generation, expects us to hurry up and switch the way we knew oh. all of our life. I hope this makes sense. Oh, it, it does make sense. And and I'm aware of it. So once again, I'll call upon my age here. You know, I'll be 58, teaching for 28 years. And to now have students who have their preferred pronouns and they want you to use them. And many of the students will signal right off the bat. It's not unusual now for email signatures or student registration forms to have preferred pronouns. And what I do in any class it turns out I make lists of things because I'm always teaching. So if I'm using a word that I know students don't know, I'll say that word and I'll make two synonyms that I think they might know. And so I do the same thing with pronouns. Every example I give in class, he, she, they, his, her, there. It's just, it's just all there as a way of being inclusive. And just the other day, I did misgender a student in class. Um, and I referred to her her. And I wrote to the student and said, I'm sorry, I, I misgendered you because I had checked my class rosters for pronouns and I misgendered you and I apologize. And she's, and she, but now wants to be they, they said, you apologized and you're trying to learn. And so I remember it's a different subject, but um, so I came out as a lesbian in the 80s, from a Catholic background, from an Irish Catholic background in Massachusetts. Not the thing you want to be. Let's just be <laughs> clear on that. I was on the fast track to hell as Sister Lorraine, Sister Jana, Sister Mary Lords all told me, right? Well, look at me now. But anyway, I remember that I had, um, let's see, I was probably in my 40s at this point, And I had a friend who was in her late 20s, and she came out as a lesbian to her parents. And her parents just got kind of quiet. And they struggled with it for a while. And she was absolutely furious with them. And I said, Look, you have to give them time. They have known you as a certain way for your entire life. They have been teaching you your entire life. You have told them something that you know, is a little tilt on the axis of their worldview. You need to give them time. Everyone doesn't operate on your timetable. And so what I found is if I'm being sincere, if I admit when I make a mistake and apologize, if I ask a student, I, I now will ask students, you know, how, how should I call, you know, how should I refer to you? Or what name do you want to be known by? Because sometimes on official college transcripts are official documents where their birth name still may be there if they haven't legally changed it. So for me, it's always just better to ask. And if I ask and I offend someone, then I've asked and offended someone. But I think in general, most people would prefer to be asked. And if someone, if you do misgender someone and they say something to you, apologize. And if they continue to berate you, well, then that's an instance of if you've offered a sincere apology, you can't make someone else accept your apology. Right. I mean, you just hope that they can maybe be a little more patient and you never know what else they're carrying. And that doesn't yeah. mean that you should always be, you know, the easy target. But, you know, I certainly know that a lot of the, 
young trans people I know today are carrying a lot and they're feeling true. They are feeling literally and figuratively under the gun. And so I know I'm going to be inclined to be more patient and loving and asking for forgiveness and, you know, asking them, how can I be your ally? You know, what can I do for you right here, right now? Or to offer, here's something I can do. This is a but we're really, all learning. We're all learning yeah. and we then all make mistakes and none of us wants to make mistakes. We don't want to hurt yeah. other people and we do it all the time, but we can repair it as well. And that's a, it's a it's a beautiful answer. And um, I've made a mistake a few times and the same thing. It's been it's been smooth sailing so far. A quick apology and said my bad. Hey, I just wanted to address that. Sorry about that. My brain can't catch up to me. I'm always just speaking first because I'm from Boston as well, Peg. I went to St. John's Prep in Danvers, Massachusetts. I don't know what part of Boston you grew up in. I grew up in Central Mass, the okay. end of Worcester. the Purple Rail, the commuter rail west. Like what, like uh, Fitchburg, just beyond Fitchburg. Concord. Of course, of course, right, Route Two, straight up there. Yeah, yeah. Route Two, indeed. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I. So growing up in that environment, I get it, and I can see exactly what you're talking about. And I had the nuns and the priests and the same thing. So I grew up with all that. Um, but uh, yeah, I think the way you dealt with that was awesome, and I'm seeing the same thing. Most are forgiving. But I really like what you said, too, about giving kids a break, because I have plenty of stories that I won't share right now. But when you start to talk to these students after they look a little tense, I mean, every waking moment, they have nowhere to go. Like people mock the idea of a safe space, but sometimes you might be the only space that's keeping them going. They come in and there's a space that they feel like you see them. That might be just enough to keep them going. And I don't think people realize that there's people who are really, really, really struggling. Oh, I think yeah. that I, I think that's True. absolutely right. And so I, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I go to AA sometime and we've got this responsibility statement that says when anyone anywhere reaches out for help, I want the hand of AA to be there. And for that, I am responsible. And, and I feel that way as a teacher in my in my classroom, as, as a faculty member, as a student advisor, that, you know, I don't I don't need to know the nitty gritty of students lives. But they need to know that they've got an ally in me and that if they come to me, that I will be there for them. And sometimes it just, you know, I've had students who just like to come and sit in my office and, and, and pat my dog. I have students who I've never even had in a class before, but they'll walk by my office and they'll just want to pat the dog. And I think I can be here for you to do that. And if you do want to talk, I'm, I'm sitting right here. But that's that's the importance of feeling acknowledged and, and recognized as a yeah. person. And Amen. so much of the the language about trans people in much of the media is so dehumanizing. Yes. It's, it's absolutely brutal. Yeah, it is. It's unbelievable. I have a question for you, Peg. This is something that I had a debate with somebody recently about. I want to get your thoughts on this because I think this will be special for you to especially answer given what we're talking about. Sometimes I'll, I'll tell people we often don't like in others what we don't like in ourselves. You know, when we think about the hate oh, yeah. and the spewing, everything else that's going on. Talk to us about your perspective on that, because I had somebody come back on me about that. Like, OK, so if I if I don't like this about somebody else, what what is that inside of me that I don't like? What are your thoughts on that? And is there any truth and validity in that? Because a lot of people are out there spousing and, and saying these things and hurtful things. What is it about? You know, Scott and I talk about the mirror, like when you hold up that accountability mirror and look at yourself, where is this coming from? Because what Scott and I really do in the show is like try to find not just the symptom of the situation, but what's the deep root cause of where a lot of this stuff is coming from. And for me personally, when I see people that are, you know, uh, inflammatory or defensive or reactionary or something like that, 
for me, I go back and I'm like, where were they as a, as a, as a small kid, like a six or seven year old little boy or little girl, where is this really coming from? Where's the deep rooted issue on that? But talk to us about that. Do you believe that there's truth in that? Like often what we don't like in others is something we don't like in ourselves. And what can oh, we do to expand upon that? Oh, I, I think that that is so true. Um, and oftentimes it's the things about which we feel shame that we hate when we see it in other people and then we see it in ourselves. I mean, I think that so much behavior is, is driven by shame. And so when we see a trait, so, so here, I'll just out myself here. I cannot stand being around intoxicated people. I can't, I cringe, I cringe. I cringe when I hear them slurring. I cringe when I see them getting kind of sloppy and weepy. And I cringe because that was me for about a good eight or nine years. And, and I, 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 I hate when I see that, but I think that hate just masks more of the kind of the grief I feel for someone who would be doing that because I know my own grief at having done that for so long. And so then it becomes, you know, as you said, Christopher, what was going on such that they would develop these behaviors or, you know, they have these attitudes and ways of being in the world. And, and I just, I, I just try to think I, I might never know what is going on with someone else. And the best I can do is treat them with loving kindness and treat them in a way that I maintain my self-respect and that I don't give any of it away or that I don't regret, because I think regret is such a corrosive mm. emotion. Oh yeah. And and regret is backwards looking. You know, I regret the things I didn't do, but we regret future possible outcomes that we've foreclosed on, that we've shut the door on. And so for me, I I want to live a life as much as I can without regret. And I know that when I see traits in other people that I really don't like, so turn that mirror back on me. To me, it says I need to do more work on myself. You know, what am I holding on to? What, what have I um, kind of allowed to become fused into my self-identity? Is there any way to try to dissolve it or let it go or befriend it in a kind of way even? And that's a hard thing, I think, for us to befriend the parts of ourselves that we don't like but That's we have true. to because we're, we're all this we're all multiple selves social selves people who know us people with histories our, our material bodies our intellectual interests i mean we're all these things and none of us is 100 consistent nor 100 good i mean it's why we have the freedom of choice it's so that we can choose to choose you have to have options you gotta make yeah. mistakes yeah, and, and if and if if we believe that our actions made no difference, that they didn't matter at all, then we'd be acting recklessly all the time or willy-nilly or or not acting at all. That's the other side of that. So if I do choose to believe that my actions matter and that I can make changes to myself and be engaged in the kind of world, then my belief that what I do matters will in fact make it matter amen right you said that you set that intention level to be to be that right you know and so many right. times we don't actually even consider that we just consider that everything from a reactionary standpoint i'm right you're wrong we make generalizations you know hurt people hurt people we know that as well 
Um, we're, already, well, we're coming up almost uh, nearly on an hour. This has been an amazing conversation. Peg, I love what you've been talking about. If you had a microphone to the world right now and you were able to, to kind of just give your thoughts and your opinions about what we can do to heal as a, as a world and to find more commonality and find more similarities as opposed to the, the, the negativity and the, and the divisiveness, what things might you say? What things might you suggest to people to really consider for themselves? So I'm just finishing up teaching this seminar on trauma. We've talked a lot about what does healing from trauma look like? And, and a lot of it is about sort of individual things, you know, how, how can you try to be more unified and less divided within yourself? And, and how can you stop self-sabotaging and everything mm -hmm. like that? And I think at the end of the day, I think that a lot of us are under extreme pressure and we're trying to do the best and we're muddling along and we're not always clear and we make mistakes and we're all doing that. And so, you know, if, if you think you are someone who must be perfect, if anything less than 100% perfection is abject failure, you're always just going to be crucifying yourself. It's like, you know, give me the nail gun. I'm going to crucify myself here. And if you expect that from other people. So I, I really do believe adopting a kind of kindness and being willing to give people the benefit of the doubt up to a certain point, you know, at some point you may need to disengage, but to not do that so readily, mm. you know, if you can take a little more time to have a response and not just a reaction. So Victor Frankl, who wrote this wonderful search for meaning. book. Yeah. Man's search for meaning. We love it. We talk about Between the same books all the time. And response <laughs> yeah. is a space, right? I mean, and in that space is the power to choose. Yes. And in our choice, that is where our growth and freedom are, but oh. we're all reacting all the time. You know, we were, you know, blocking incoming bad news, you know, terrible news, bad breaks. And, we get so hunkered down that we forget that we can open our hands and we can expand as much as we can contract. Perfect. That's love what it. I'd say. If, if I had Mr. Microphone to the universe. You just did. You just you did. Just, and you and just we spoke that to, to millions and millions of people. So Peg, Peg O'Connor, I would love to have you back on the show. Definitely, definitely uh, been a riveting conversation. There's so been many great. different places to go to. We could be going for hours and hours and hours here. Um, Yes, Andrea says here, she goes, power to respond instead of react. I mean, Amen. that's, guys, that's probably one of the biggest lessons in my life is learning yeah. how to press that pause button and sit there and say, okay, what am I making this to mean about me? How am I taking this personal? Why is that reaction so personal? And what is it that I can look within myself to be able to kind of shift and evolve and, and change in order to have a more healthier dialogue with people as opposed to, you know, just, you know, fighting back and forth? Where can people get a hold of you and continue this conversation with you, my dear? Easiest way to get a hold of me um, is on my Fancy Pants website, which Christopher has just put up on the bottom, pegocotterauthor.com, or easily reach by email at, this is all one word together, thesoberphilosopher at gmail.com. Oh, I like that. The sober philosopher. The sober philosopher. Oh. Sober with respect to recovery, not lacking humor, I hope. There I'm gonna go. I'm gonna get the drunk on love philosopher at gmail.com and I'm gonna go with her. <laughs> or I, I was thinking too of reformed drunkard, which was the language of the earliest early 20th century. I thought, well, that's accurate. That's actually mm. it's good too. I like all of them. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm gonna put you backstage here for a second, Peg. We're gonna we're gonna end out the show. Don't go anywhere because we still want to talk to you for a second. But thank you, thank you, thank Sounds you for good. this thank beautiful you, conversation. Thank you, thank you to both of you. We're definitely gonna have more of that. 
Definitely, definitely going to have more of that. Uh, yeah, what an amazing conversation tonight, Scott. What are your uh, what are your final thoughts? I, I, lo I love what Peg does. And I love the challenge back to um, to push kindness back. And that's the reason you surround yourself with people who have different perspectives, even though they might be similar. Um, I'm sure if Peg and I sat down for hours, we'd probably say the same thing. And I like the way that she challenged me back on something that's triggering me because I need to look more deeply in the mirror. This is all correct. And so if you're watching this, and you're saying like, who's right, who's wrong? No one's right or wrong. Yeah, exactly. The great thing, the great thing that's happening right now is we're awakening, we're aware, we're listening, we're growing together. And that's why we do the show for you guys. And what Peg was saying, especially what she ended with, that space between stimulus and reaction, sit and think about what that really means. Because when you look at that thing on Facebook or your mother-in-law says this, or your friend says this, or your boss says this, and you're about to react, Maybe sit and say, what would happen if I did this? What would happen if I did this? The power of me, who I really am at source, is in that space without question. And I challenge you to utilize that to the best of your ability. Um, I thought she was amazing. Definitely want her back. Peggy Rock. That's all. Yes, yes, yes. The phrase, seek first to understand. Oh, I've been saying it so, 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 so much lately, guys. You know, when I sit there and I find myself triggered by a situation, now what I've been able to do instead of react and go, okay, well, I'm going to tell you about these five things that, that you're doing wrong. And let me get back at you. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about that. Tell me where that comes from. And then, then all of a sudden you start, people start, oh, tell me more about that. So how does that, where do you think that came from? Where in your childhood do you think that belief came from? And it, we start peeling back the onion. Oh, this is where I got it from. I got it from these teachers. I got it from my parents. I got it from my kids in my school. That's where I become so personalized in this argument that feels like it's about myself seeking first to understand and then asking some modified questions about how they got their perspective. Sometimes those people will leave themselves in a spot where like, you know what? I never thought about that, Chris. And I've been asking and challenging people just on a very soft level. It's just like, okay, well, why don't you go consider that and tell me what you come up with? Yeah. And I think that if we can do more of that in our own personal conversations and obviously what we're doing here on the show to set the example with people, I think slowly but surely if everybody can go out there in, in their relationships, not, not react to something and so they're saying you know what tell me more about that i really don't understand that that's something new to me can you help me understand that a little bit more and if somebody's talking about you know i'd rather be preferred to, to be called they okay tell me more about that you know why is that so important to you i got in a conversation with a buddy of mine recently we were talking about the transgender situation and he says i'm, I'm good with all of it i'm good with all of it he goes but just don't make me call you they just don't make you know because that goes against my religious beliefs and i'm like well why is that such a deep deep rooted thing for you why is that why why can't you just it's just a word why can't you just say they or or it's just something within myself so it's like a deep rooted situation but he's as far as everything else like i'm totally good rights you know do whatever you, everything he goes but just don't make me call you that and so i just said okay well go back and consider that and find out where that comes from you know if it's if it's truly in the biblical sense based on what the bible says or whatever it is I'd be interested to find out what that, why you're so stuck on that, considering to me, it's just a couple of letters, but for them, it means the world to, for them. So I've been challenging people a little bit to, to kind of consider that. I've been challenging myself as well. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, this is what we can do is we can have these conversations and bring people on and, and for us learn as well. Like you guys were talking about, you know, I used to sit there and say, I was, I was the product of reverse discrimination. I used to say reverse discrimination because I was the only white kid in a black neighborhood. And I had my black friends say, no, 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 it's not the same. It's not the same. Don't say that. It sounds bad. I'm like, well, I was just kind of, you know, I, I, I uh, saying that I understand how it feels to be the odd man out. Like, Chris, there's so much more to it than just being the odd man out. You have to understand. So as we sit there and we ask these questions, as long as we're open, like you're saying, Scott, as long as we're open, just and they're saying, oh, I didn't consider that perspective. Let me put that in my toolkit and let me understand it a little bit better. 
you know, and people having patience with us. I think that's a way that we can continue to grow and evolve and uh, and kind of push back on, you know, what the news media and everybody else is saying about what's going on, because it's not true. I mean, most for the most part, I, f I think people are out there just passionate about trying to make a difference and trying to get what's right for them out there to make it a better place. But I think we have to do some digging within ourselves to be able to make sure that that's really coming from the authentic source. Yeah, I think the bottom line of everything you just said is ask ask good questions. I think if we say say less and ask good questions, and I would actually attach to what uh, Peg said and uh, get the facts straight and ask good questions. If you lead with that, take time in that space between you know stimulus and reaction, we got a better world right there. So I love it. Boom, 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 boom. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Robert, thank you guys for being here. Uh, let's see what Robert said. Everyone here in chat, you're also amazing. Thank you, Absolutely. thank you, thank you. Uh, Robert says here, hey, Scott, you're amazing. Peg O'Connor, you're amazing. Christopher, you're amazing. Thank oh, you. Thank so you. are you. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Are, you. He says, so talk about, talks about love being number one. Yes, mm. we got to have love. We got to have love. Love for one another. Love for ourselves. Um, yeah, I love what Andrea said here again. Power to respond instead of react. That is Amen. so, so like ask yourself like when you're triggered by something like what is it what am i making this to mean about me what is it i can do um dennis Nermella is in here as well he says i love teaching college in china i love my students yes a fellow professor there's all sorts of professors here so thank you for coming in from china I want to talk to you about that um nicole in the house uh, all you beautiful people whether you're watching live or on the replay thank you thank you thank you as always go to www.theunfilteredexperience and join us in the facebook community that's where we're uh, announcing all the different things that we got going on with the show uh, and obviously bringing you guys inspiration, motivation, and some education uh, throughout the week to keep you guys going. So right for now, we're going to be taking a little bit of hiatus on this. So go start enjoying your spring and your summer. We're going to be back here shortly with a, a whole brand new show, a whole brand new season, whole brand new topics. And you guys are invited to become here because you guys are part of our unfiltered crew. We love and appreciate each and every one of you. Let us know what it is that you want to see on the show, what type of topics, what type of guests you would like us to see. Have us on, have on the show and we'll definitely cater to that. So Go out there, be brilliant. Go out there, be a part of the solution, not part of the problem. And we'll see you here next time on the Unfiltered Experience. We love you guys. Love you.